Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh. Serve fast. Serve friendly. Lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Big Blue Nation, welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs as we continue to give University of Kentucky fans a unique look at Kentucky basketball and football. Ralph Hacker had the enormous task of following a legend much like Joby Hall. However, it wasn't on the court or on the field. It was behind the microphone. Ralph Hacker alongside K. Wood Ledford was instrumental in conveying the action from the Wildcats to your radio. Oscar sat down with Ralph Hacker over the summer for a three-part series, and we've decided to share that with you, starting with Kentucky football. Ralph will describe his early days in Madison County growing up and watching football and following the Cats. How much of a legend was the late Bay Pirelli? Ralph's going to tell you. And we'll get his thoughts on giving credit where credit is due during radio broadcast. You will hear stories on some of the past UK football coaches, including Charlie Bradshaw, John Ray, and Hal Mummy. And how crazy is Ralph Hacker? Crazy enough to put a bug in Larry Ivey's ear about a certain head coach at Alabama. Ralph will tell us who's responsible for the construction of Commonwealth Stadium. That's right, I said it, Commonwealth Stadium. There's quite a bit of outstanding insight to Kentucky football history that you're not going to get it anywhere else. I'm Bo Robinson, and you're listening to part one of Conversations with Oscar Combs and his guest, Ralph Hacker. Ralph, first of all, congratulations. Just going into the UK Hall of Fame, big surprise, I guess? Total surprise. It's, I never thought about it. I honestly never thought of it would ever occur, never thought about being a member of a Hall of Fame uh, whatsoever, the University of Kentucky Hall of Fame. I'm just an old country boy from over in Madison County. When you become a football fan? When did I, did I become a fan? Yeah. We could understand when I went to high school, we didn't have football. We had track, baseball, and basketball. I played basketball. I played baseball. I never played, never ran track. A uh, little like Carl Hurley. You know, I pray <laughs> they'd tell me to get out there and, you know, start running, turn left, and get back as soon as I could. But I, I never, never ran track, and we didn't have football. So what we did have was the Madison High Royal, Madison Model Royal Purples. And, and Jerry Woolham. Played quarterback there. Came, Who later came to Kentucky. Came to Kentucky. And that's when I started watching football was when Jerry Woolen was in high school. Which would have been? Oh, that would have been, what, about 19 and late 57, 58, somewhere in that ballpark in, 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 that, in that era. And then uh, when I went to Madison Central, since we didn't have the football team, on Friday nights we would go watch Madison play and cheer for Madison High. Talbot Todd, Freddie Ballou. Sonny West, James Bosley, Johnny Collins, you know, all these guys were out there playing. David Rivers, uh, Dale Carrier, all these guys were playing. We would cheer for them. So that's when I started 
uh, following football was in, was in high school then. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't have it. Or I, I think I could have. Uh, I, I probably would have tried to have played. I was big enough. I was six two at that time. I was six two as a freshman in high school and weighed one hundred and fifty five pounds or something like that. Were you a college fan at the time, or when did you start following? Oh, Eastern. College? Eastern, and then when Jerry came to the University of Kentucky, you know, we would not, and always I listened to the ball games, but I listened to them with Claude Sullivan, mm-hmm. you know, doing the ball games, you know, back in the end of the 50s. But when, when Jerry came to the University of Kentucky, we started following it, or I started following it a lot closer uh, up there. Did when, At what point or did you go back and study and, and, and know what you know today about the Rupp, I mean, the Bear Bryant? era particularly in the 48 49 50 51 oh probably rally and blanda well probably once once when i got here see i i grew up being up because of being there we'd go to eastern games coach mm-hmm. Fresnel was coaching there roy kid uh, was an assistant coach there but this was he was a head coach at madison high school when i first started watching that so i would go up and watch eastern's games mm-hmm. as a kid and then like say listen to kentucky's games i got to know an awful lot of the players uh, from back in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. And I always prided myself that there were very, very few of the basketball players that ever played at the University of Kentucky I hadn't met. Uh, Not not to say that I met 100% of them. Mm -hmm. I probably met 90% of the the, the players that were alive Mm -hmm. in my career over here. I met and got to know. In, in, in some respect uh, through that point. Ralph Beard uh, and I became, became friends. Not I remember, in fact, you gave me a picture of the Fab Five that you had made with Joe B. and Harry Lancaster and uh, had, a, had them all autographed and everything, and you had some kind of a function with them. Yeah, and it just, uh, I just, I think that once you're gone from the University of Kentucky, and it's not just UK, it's, it's every place, you're forgotten. I mean, you're, you're about a four-year span and at the most and, and, and your, your history. Uh, but I always said, I'm not going to let that happen. And it's like when broadcasting the football games, you get a lot of complaints because I tried to give the lineman credit. Mm-hmm. But I'll never forget a mother of a lineman came to me, or two mothers, both boys were from Louisville, great big good, good lineman, came to me one time and said, if it weren't for you, nobody would ever known our boys played at the University of Kentucky. And I and I, I kind of took that to heart. Mm-hmm. So I want to give all these guys who you know mm-hmm. weren't weren't the guys getting their names in the papers every day, uh, that that sort of thing. So and the same thing, Oscar, with the uh, with the uh, the old players. I wanted to get to know them. One the night before Babe Pirelli died, I received a phone call. It says, "Babe has talked about you so much lately. He would want you to know that he is passing." And I thought, well, how sweet is that? And I got to know Babe Pirelli late in his life. I probably got to know Babe Pirelli 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I love Babe Pirelli. He always came by the last several years. He'd come into Lexington State twice a year. Yeah. Usually during Keeneland and football. Right. And he would always come to Wheeler's in the morning for breakfast and yep. meet people. And just such a genuine, you never know, that's Babe Pirelli there. One of the great thrills I had was he'd come to Florida in the wintertime. And they'd always call me, let me know he was coming, and I'd go get him, or he'd come to the house, or we'd meet, and I'd take him to play golf, and we'd take him to eat. And I introduced him. One day I walked in, and down in Vero Beach, Florida, all these people are crazy Florida fans. And I walked in there, and all they talk about is football. And I walked up to a group of them one time, and 
One of them happened to be the roommate of Steve Spurrier at the University of Florida. And I said, boys, who's the greatest quarterback of the 1950s in the Southeastern Conference? And they stood there, and one of them birded out, Babe Pirelli. And they all agreed, Babe Pirelli. I said, let me introduce you to Vito Babe Pirelli. <laughs> and they, they, they went crazy. Yeah. That night, we go out to dinner, and we're standing there and, and waiting for a table, standing at the bar, and uh, Babe was having a beer, and this guy walked in and spoke to me, and we talked for a few minutes, and I got the privilege of introducing Babe Pirelli to Ron Paranowski, who I believe was the first relief pitcher in baseball. Left-hander. Left-hander. And played for the Dodgers and lives in Vero Beach, which I've gotten to know Ron Paranowski over the years. And that was one of the great and, – and turns out Paranowski was a few years younger than Babe. Mm-hmm. Loved Babe Pirelli because he was from up in Michigan mm-hmm. and was a Green Bay fan. You know, that's one of the things I'm so uh, happy about, what Mitch Barnhart in the U.K. is doing for Talbot Todd right now. You know, I mean, he, he was sort of in the area, but – Suddenly, the fans forget about you. Yeah, and nobody—I mean, your your close friends do. But I, I, I'm happy to see that they've embraced him. They've done the honors for him, while he could somewhat enjoy it. And, and and I like what they're doing around the stadium and bringing these All-Americans back. I'd like for them to see them honoring some people that are not as well known. I mean, maybe have a a, a wall of just different lettermen at different times. You know, because pe- people just don't understand, particularly when you start talking about the greatest player of all time, as you did a while ago. I can say this is the greatest Wildcat I ever saw play in my lifetime, but I can't say he's the greatest Wildcat when I wasn't even around in the 40s. Yeah. There's, there's, how good was Paul McBrayer when he played for Coach Rupp? Yes. Nobody knows. No. Nobody knows. Nobody, <clears throat> nobody knows how good these players were back in their 30s or 40s. Uh, they really don't. You can't remember, except two years ago, three years ago, how good that team was. You think you can remember how good Macy was, but how many of you really saw him? That's right. And 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 the way our society is, Dave, people move so much. I mean, there's so many people living in Central Kentucky now that are maybe 50 years old, but they've only been living here 10 years or 15 years. No question. And they know nothing beyond that the uh when you started getting involved you mentioned charlie bradshaw was that the first coach that you had interactions with at at kentucky at kentucky yes he was he was the first one and then the rest of them i you know interacted up didn't work with hal mummy but i got to know hal mummy well (laughs) and 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 enjoyed hal mummy enjoyed immensely being around him and the others i don't know at all yeah the uh the I guess is the end of the Charlie Bradshaw era. You you per, pretty much got to know him. Did you know him the first two or three years, the thin thirty and that crew? No, that was when Talbot was there, and yes. Talbot and I were the same age and, and all that. No, I did not know uh, did not know him. I knew a lot of the players. You know, Roger Bird, Talbot, uh, Sam Ball, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, and and uh, you know, go on for the for, uh, many of many of the well, players. Well, as as the story goes. UK brought in Charlie to sort of straighten everything out. Things had sort of gotten loose with the program. There wasn't a lot of discipline. And as a, as legend has it, or as history has it, is that the UK president called Bear Bryant and said, I need somebody tough that can get us floating again. And he said, hey, I got an assistant here. It's an ex-Marine. He can straighten it up. Well, I, I've heard that 
I don't know that for a fact. I've heard that, and I know that he was one tough Marine, and he was one <laughs> tough son of a gun, and he did everything that he could to straighten it up. And uh, he told me the book that came out a few years ago, mm-hmm. somebody said, have you read it? I said, uh, yes. And they said, what do you think about it? I said, it's the same story as Charlie Bradshaw told me 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Exactly the same stories. He, uh, so I, I believe everything was in the book. So now where were you at at the point in time that John Ray was hired? Uh, I was working WVLK. Okay. I was working there. Still, yeah. you know, not. And, and and I was in Hazard at the time, but everything that we were told is, okay, now everything's in line because this guy comes from Notre Dame. We believe this in guy. you, Big Blue. Yes. Right? That was the slogan. Yeah. And uh, he brought he brought that in. He had Caven Barnett, my old boss uh, in Richmond. Uh, Caven's over here uh, working. And he got Caven involved in the uh, Wildcat Club. Mm-hmm. And uh, they came out. They, they brought blue blazers, blue pants, ties. They were the first person to start marketing uh, the University of Kentucky uh, football. And they had these had these football meetings at the Campbell House, as I recall. Yes, that is correct. Usually on a Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Yeah, they have them out there, and John or one of the coaches would come. Yeah. Uh, and they made $100 on the side for appearing that night. Yeah, could, could be. Yeah. And uh, so they'd come out there, and, and they would speak, and they'd do what they did. And, and uh, I, I had hoped that John Ray would make it. Uh, John Ray was a defensive-minded coach, uh, but he could just never get it all together here as far as getting the players together and, and all that. You know, I suppose at the end of, the, end of it is he's the one that got everybody excited enough to get the legislature and the Governor Louis Nunn at the time to build a new stadium. And his last year here, he was going he had one year left on his contract. And he asked the board to give him a one-year extension where he would have two in the new stadium. They wouldn't give him the extra one, and he basically said, well, I'm leaving on this one. Probably. Would, I, would, 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 I mean, it seemed to me like he was biting his nose to fight, spite his face here. He, because, he, he was, you know, Kersey came in and won five games that first yeah. year. He was a proud man. John Ray was a very proud man. You know, I broadcast the last game in the Coliseum, in the first game oh. in Rupp Arena. I bought, oh. broadcast the last one in Stall Field, first one in Commonwealth Stadium. Uh just happened again to be at the right place at the right time. Nothing I had to do with that. It's just the way that it the way that it turned out. Uh, you know, there's a story uh, that Governor Nunn told me uh, many times. Uh, you know, meaning maybe half a dozen that uh, when the group came to talk about Commonwealth Stadium, he said uh, they called him. I said I guess it was Jim Host who set up the meeting. Jim was working for the governor at the time, and uh, they came over there. And they sat down and they started talking about this and wanted to know if he would support a bond issue for the Commonwealth Stadium. And he said, uh, yes, I, said, I think I can do that. And they went over everything and where they want to put it and the size of it. He said, is there anything else you want to talk about? And they said, no. He said, is there, how's the kind of basketball team we're going to have? We're going to have a good one. Is there anything else you want to talk about? <laughs> no. And he said, I gave them every opportunity to ask me to build, build a gymnasium out there next to Commonwealth Stadium, and they never asked me. You know, there's actually some plans that were made at that time that had this sort of like Notre Dame. They had a stadium and a round arena right next to it, but for some reason Singletary never acted on it. Not done by the university. It was done by an outside group, you know, who put that together. But uh, said so they never asked me to do that. So John, John Ray, I think in all reality – it was his promotion of the UK football program 
and the excitement that he caused by coming in here from Notre Dame, even though he wasn't a big winner, it's the excitement that he came in here that caused Commonwealth Stadium to eventually to be built. Don't think there's any question. Kersey comes in, and he basically, uh, John Wapperan was very, very instrumental in him getting the job. Uh, first year, five and six. Uh, I think it was the second game of the season. I can't remember if it was the first game they played Alabama. Had a 14 to nothing lead at the half. Mm-hmm. And uh, a kick returner for Alabama ran off the second half kickoff for a 100-yard touchdown and ended up losing 28 to 14. Right. But everything looked so positive for the future. Fran Kersey was, a, uh, again, like so many coaches, the outstanding coach, and he could put together a staff. Fran Kersey had some outstanding coaches. John Ray had some great coaches that went on into, like, Ohio State and to Nebraska. They became professional coaches uh, for a number of different professional teams. So John could put together a staff uh, as well. Then when Fran came in, Fran put together a really good staff. And Fran could recruit. Fran went up east, and he recruited. And uh, they apparently, I never knew what they did, <laughs> apparently did some illegal things. But when, when, you get a, when you get a group in there like, uh, you know, like Derek Ramsey and Warren Bryant and Art Still, Jerry Blanton, Jerry Blanton and, and all those guys, you get all those at one time, and you got a guy who can coach and a guy who can motivate, and you got a crowd who wants to win, you can do some stuff. And Fran, Fran was an outstanding coach. Well, in 73, he had the five wins, 74. And you gotta, you got to tell me what you know here. Maybe you can share something you've never shared before. In that 75 season was supposed to be a takeoff season. But it went AWAR in the middle of the season with the Auburn game. This was Sonny Collins' senior season. He's told me many times if he had only come to UK one year later, and he, had he been on that 76 team, they could have really gone places. But how bad did that one weekend destroy the season against Auburn? Was that the uh, – That was the weekend. R- r- when, the, when Sonny got hurt. Well, uh, I, th- I think it was after Sonny got hurt. But the big deal was Delmore Stevens' investigation for that death. All right. Where he and uh, John Bishop and uh, another another young man. Yeah. They uh, – Started yeah. over at the library. Uh, they had uh, – got this man and for young their age and had tied him up uh and had put as i recall and i don't know all the details put a rope around his neck and around his feet and struggling to to get loose the guy choked himself to death that's what i always heard is the the kind of knots that they had on you know Mm -hmm. the guy choked himself to death in the back of his car and and that was kind of that was terrible that was uh you know you had bubble mccullum was around there and, and and those guys and uh, it was Daryl Bishop, you know, it was Daryl's cousin uh, who was with him, and uh, I'm trying to remember the other the young man's name, and I know I knew him, uh, I knew the young man. And he wasn't a football player at all, but he anyway they got they got involved in some funny stuff. I don't know whether it was I don't think it was drugs as it would be today. I don't think it was drugs. It was some other stuff that was involved, and uh, and it, it murder just changed everything. It just changed everything. And a lot of people weren't very high on the next season to come along, but then everything fell in place in 76. Right. It, it did for a fact. And, and that's where you had the great – the guys from up east, the old eastern connection. You know, he's like, he's like bringing Pirelli and, and, uh, and bringing uh, uh, Steve Meilinger and all those guys back in. You, know, had, you had the great talent. 
you had great talent on one team. And I remember, you know, they used to bring, you know, sometimes on offense it would be five, six yards to go. Ramsey would be at quarterback. They'd, they'd bring, uh, I guess it was Warren in and put him there next to uh, Art Steele, you know, on the offensive line. And Derek Ramsey would look over to the star on the other side. And he'd say, uh, number 71 or number 14 or whatever his name, we're coming over you. <laughs> and and they never failed. Yeah. Uh, they you know when they, once they told you they were coming after you, you take you take the, those guys who were like, you know six seven six eight three hundred pounds round numbers and they're all muscle. And Derek who was six seven about two thirty five, bang they hit you, you were gone. Going into the last game of the season, they're six and four. You got to be at least seventy four back then to make a bowl game because there weren't that many yeah. bowl games. They go to Knoxville, yeah. and they play for four quarters. At the end of it, a tip pass. Ramsey throw the pass, and the defensive back tips up. And I guess it's uh, Kentucky gets it, runs it in for a touchdown. Nobody comes close to scoring. And before the game, the Peach Bowl people announced that both teams were 6-4, and four, and the winner would get a Peach Bowl. And after the game, uh, Kentucky got the Peach Bowl. And after the game, the AD came out and announced that John, that uh, – Bill Battle been fired. We don't put up with losing at <laughs> <laughs> Tennessee, do they? Uh, you know, in all reality, that uh, you're right about that. But let's look ahead. Let's jump ahead 30 years. Bill Battle. He made Battle, a little money. Uh, hey, Bill, Bill Battle was a lucky man. Yes. Right, right at that particular time. Uh, and he, I think he was the youngest college coach in the uh, country at the time he got the job. Yeah, probably. Uh, but, you know, again, I've always thought, if they'd lost to Auburn, would they have fired him? He lost to Kentucky. And at that time, if you lost to Kentucky, people in football, people want to fire you. Mm-hmm. They want to get rid of you if you lost to Kentucky. Mm-hmm. It's it's like if uh, Kentucky plays basketball and they lose to Auburn. You know, you won't. You just, well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what. If Kentucky beats Tennessee this year, that might be the day they fire Butch Jones. It very well might be. But see, again, it's a stigma of, yes. of Kentucky against that. Now, it'll take a few years winning, mm-hmm. and I hope we get to there. That, that stigma will go away. But so far, that stigma is there. So, in 76, uh, they have a very good year. They, they actually lose to Mississippi State, I think, 14-7 to down in Jackson. But it ends up they get credit, and they have to force the game a year later. It gives them another year. They use an eligible player. But anyway, you fast forward, and you're going to Atlanta for the Peach Bowl. I mean, of all the time I've been here, I don't think I've seen a crowd at any bowl game. Excited because I mean they hadn't been to one in what quarter century, since fifty two or fifty three, till seventy six, and the night before the game though, you and Kaywood are in Louisville doing a Kentucky Notre Dame okay. game. I remember saying when we got through with the game because there were so many people headed out, the last one in Kentucky turn off leaving Kentucky turn off the lights, <laughs> and we came back to Lexington, got on a charter flight, flew down there to uh, uh, to Atlanta. One of the coldest days I've ever ever worked a football game in my life was was there in Atlanta. It wet had been had been wet, and it was so dead burn cold it was unbelievable. Yeah, and they had no heat in a press box. Right, Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. Uh, I thought if we played North Carolina, wasn't that? Yes. We played, yeah. yes, North Carolina. North Carolina. Beat them twenty-one to nothing. Yeah. Rod Stewart had a phenomenal game, three touchdowns, yeah. uh, and that was before he blew his knee out next year against Baylor. Yeah. Next year against Baylor, you're ten and one. Lose only to Baylor. Uh, some people think that may be the best team in Kentucky history. Certainly going back to the, the uh, 
team that won the Orange Bowl. That, well, beat Oklahoma. I, I, it, that would be hard to argue with that it was not the best team since the 1950s. You know, what do you remember most that, about that team? Again, the guys I talked about a whole ago. Again, you know, they were so great. I'm still surprised they lost to Baylor, to be truthful with you. Uh, I think. What I remember again was the University of Kentucky, when all this stuff was all said and done, would not allow that team to have, even though they were declared the champions, would not allow them to have a ring. It was 20 years later that the team itself put up the money, had their own banquet, and bought the rings. And I remember that probably because they gave cable to me one. They said, you're all as much part of the team as anybody. I, I remember a, a great number of U.K. players, current, uh, former players, were real upset uh, a few years ago. I guess, let's see, the 77, it would have been probably 97. Yeah, it was 97, the 20th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to have U.K. to have a 20th anniversary reunion, and uh, CM wouldn't let them. And they just got through having a uh, 02 10-year reunion of the Unforgettables. Mm-hmm. And a couple of our friends were in on the meeting. Joe Bright was one. You remember Joe. And they went in, and they said, and Sim said, we wouldn't, we'll never honor a team that was on probation. And one of them looked up to him and said, could you at least give us a parade downtown? And Sim said, what do you mean? He said, well, you gave the Unforgettables a parade downtown when the season ended. They were on probation. And that was sort of a, to this day, you know, there's a lot of football people don't like Sim Newton's name on the football field. But beyond beyond that, Kentucky, uh, Kersey never has a season to match that. Uh, some incidents that happened off the field, why they weren't major, but they were just things. And then John Wise sort of turned on Kersey. What do you remember most about that? I, I remember that, that he did. And he wanted to bring in a former NFL coach, you know, to be George, the, Allen. George Allen, to be the head coach at the University of Kentucky. Uh, John Wise, you know, being a University of Kentucky alumnus and governor. He was governor. Boy, wanted, you know, wanted to flex his muscle. Well, he was the governor who put in the Kentucky Louisville basketball series. Oh, I understand. And remembered it was John Y. who flew Fran Kersey up here to get the job. And when they got uh, when they got off the plane, John Y. flew him up on, on their plane. In December, they were going to introduce him at a basketball game at the Coliseum. Right. He got off, and Fran had on Florida clothing. And he was freezing to death, and John Y. gave him a top coat to wear. Actually, an overcoat yeah, down to his the, ankle. Yeah. It was to him, it would, you know, yeah. so the, I think it's cashmere. Uh, and he, so he ends up. And he doesn't give it back to him. Well, that's the end of the story. <laughs> so the last game there, Brand Kersey knew that he was, he was, uh, it was his last game playing Tennessee. He walked out and he said to Johnny Majors as he shook his hand at the, uh, at the uh, center stripe, said, I'm going to kick your ass and walked off. That's right. So he looked up, Brand's got on this new hat. He's got on this top coat, a brand new suit, brand new shoes, looks up there, and John Wise up there with George Allen in the stands. He looks up, runs his fingers down the lapels to remind John why he still has his top coat on the thing, and he goes out and beats Tennessee. I'm, I'm in the press box, though, an hour before the game that day, and Haywood Herrick just comes up that we talked yeah. about a while ago, and he said, well, we're not winning today. And I said, what do you mean, Haywood? He said, no way. I said, what do you mean? He said, I just left the field. I said, Johnny's beside himself. I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, 
Well, this morning at breakfast, he was all up in the air about he didn't know what his group because he and Fran are really good friends. And he didn't he didn't know he said he just didn't know what to say. He knows it's his last game, you know. He knows he's probably gonna beat him pretty good. And he, he just he just real edgy. Said, you know what? Said he went in there an hour and a half before the game and he sees Fran at midfield when coaches come and talk to each other, you know, and and they go their separate ways, said he walks out there and he said, well, I, I just, you know, do what I have to do. And says, Fran walks up to me and says, he just looks me in the eye and says, Johnny, I'm going to beat your blank, blank, blank. <laughs> and just turns around and walks off and doesn't say another word. <laughs> and he said, Johnny, come. He said, we're beat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, but you know, Fran put together some great players. Not just, just just those guys for that particular year. He put some other other players. He had, he had a number of players to go to the pros that UK hadn't been sending there. Before. And, and then he, Fran mixed up his coaching staff. Is that well the Perry Moss deal? That's what I started to say. He brings in Perry Moss. You know, great credentials, but none of the coaches could get along with him, and, and that caused a. To me, that was the disruption. Of, uh, of the Rangers. And, and then he came back only because Derek Raymond said, if you don't bring him back, I'm leaving. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when they had the two big years. Yeah. So, you know, it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. How good was Charlie Bailey? Charlie Bailey was a great defensive coach. He was, a, you, you talk about, you talk about geniuses. Mm-hmm. I thought Charlie Bailey was a brilliant defensive coach. And I, his first offensive coordinator was, uh, the guy that ended up at Arizona and Ohio State? Uh, 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 David, uh, well, my mind just went. But I, yeah. I, I got a picture of him in my yeah. mind. Yeah. Alex Gibbs. No. No, Alex Gibbs did the same thing. Yes. But you know, David Adolph. I'm, I'm going to. Cooper. Cooper. John Cooper. John Cooper. John Cooper, who was really, really a – he married Helen from down there just north of Knoxville, Tennessee. And John Cooper was a, uh, outstanding, outstanding at Ohio State – he called me one time. He said, Ralph, if you think the Kentucky basketball fans are crazy, you ought to meet the Ohio State football fan. He said, he said <laughs> and, and, I mean, he just had an unbelievable yeah. staff there. Uh, Charlie McCullers was a great coach to come in here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, that that staff he had, they were just finding that uphill deal that they still are as being at the bottom of the league. Yeah. And if, if Fran, could have, Fran could have weathered the storm, I think that had been Kentucky in the modern era. I think that was Kentucky's best chance to turn the corner of football. I think if Fran had been at a, quote, football school in the SEC, he would have been coached for 25 years and would have gone down as one of the greatest of all. Because uh, he, was, he was a great manager. And head coaches are CEOs. They don't act right. the X and O on the field. Right. they got to have 12 people underneath them to get the job done. Yeah. But after that, we go to bring home uh, ex-alum, Jerry Claiborne, who had been very, very successful in the ACC. But the ACC is no SEC. They, they brought in Jerry. They had interviewed Roy Kidd. And they had interviewed Roy Kidd one other time. Uh, and uh, Did they miss the boat on that? They, they didn't feel, uh, and I don't think I'm out of school saying this because I've heard it from, from, from the mouths of the people. They didn't feel that Roy being at Eastern – had the qualifications to come over and run a big-time program at at University of Kentucky. Well, here's a man who had won championships. Here's a man who had taken one scholarship, split it three ways, got players in here to play. He had managed a lot of things to become a winner over at Eastern Kentucky. And uh, and 
uh, I, I personally thought as much as I grew to like Jerry, uh, and he was my neighbor, next door neighbor, uh, is that he sat down on my porch one night and he said to me, Raph, I hear you wouldn't for me being the coach. And I said, well, that's not exactly right. He said, uh, I hear you for Roy Kidd. I said, I was. I said, you've had your chance at Virginia Tech and you had your chance at Maryland in a big time. I thought it was chance. That, I thought it was time that Coach Kidd had his chance, and this was a great opportunity for both UK and him. He sat there eating a bowl of ice cream. He looked at me and said, well, you're right. <laughs> we never said another word about it for the rest of the time that, that we knew Jerry. Yeah. Uh, it was about that. Like I said, we were, <clears throat> there was one house in between me and him. His second year, he had the biggest turnaround in college football. Went to a bowl game, 83, I think it was West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Then 84, they went back to the Hall of Fame in Birmingham and beat a really good Wisconsin team that had a great receiver by the name of Al Toon, who played many years in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point in time, it looked like things were beginning to come together. It did, and I never really figured out why it didn't stay together. I think Bill Ransdell was the quarterback in 84. Yep. Uh, you know, Jerry had a good staff. Put together a good staff. Brought him with him. Most Bill Glazer's still here. Yeah. Started out on a curse. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Terry Schrock did the defense. Uh, Jerry Eisman. Uh, yeah, Jerry Eisman. But he, he had a really good staff. I, did they just uh, not recruit? That, I think I started to say to you, I think the problem was they couldn't get the players. Yeah. That was the, that was the, that was the one thing. They couldn't get the players in here because all of those guys uh, could coach him. Terry even ended up being on a national championship team uh, coaching at Georgia Tech. And his last year here, I think he ended up – he had several 6-5 years. By then, 6-5 mm-hmm. didn't get you into a bowl necessarily. Right. And uh, I think it was either his last year or next to last year, the SEC went to seven league games instead of six, which meant that there was another loss line there. That's right. Anytime you add another Southeastern Conference game to the schedule, it is not to Kentucky's favor. Uh, and maybe that will change. But it's still that way. You add another one, it's still they, – they didn't add Missouri and South Carolina to the league for basketball. Right. They added them for football. Right. And then and then Curry comes in, and either his first or second year, they had an eighth league game to it. Yep. And, of course, the, what do you remember about the hiring process of Curry? Because Sim has just come on board the year before that. And I think that was the second time that Roy was interviewed. I, yes, I, I that was is wrong. correct. He was, he was interviewed there for that particular thing. Uh, what I remember, and I could remember this all wrong, but I'll tell you what I remember. There was a guy who worked for Kentucky Central. He was a crazy Alabama fan. And every, every time he'd come by my office, he would start, come in and he would just <clears throat> raise Kane about Bill Curry being the head coach of the University of Alabama. And I said to him, you're going to the Sugar Bowl. <laughs> Howard was his name. I said, you're going to the Sugar Bowl, Howard. This man has done a great job at the University of Alabama. Hey, he's not one of our boys. He's not one of our boys. And I said, surely you don't feel that way. He said, that's the way we all feel in Alabama. So CM, I knew that we're looking for a coach. I called Larry Ivey. And I said, Ivy, I got the craziest idea I've ever had. And he said, what's that? And he said, I said, have CM talk to Bill Curry. He said, you're crazy. He said, he's at Alabama. Of course, Larry's an Alabama man. I said, Larry, 
I'm just telling you, check with your Alabama buddies and see what they say. And we talked a few minutes more. Next thing I know, Larry calls me back. And he said, I told CM what you said. He said, CM said you was crazy. I said, yeah, I know that. I just knew it as a crazy idea. I come up with those at the time. That night or the next day, Larry called me back. He said, Ralph, don't say anything about this, but CM's got a meeting with Bill Curry. I said, you're kidding. He said, no. So shortly after that, I get a call from Larry. I said, don't say anything about it, but we're hiring Curry. Now, that. The, the the thing I remember back uh, uh, shortly after that is the people in Alabama apparently didn't like him. First of all, they resigned the fact that Alabama would hire a Georgia Tech guy because yep. they hated Georgia Tech and the coach down there at that time. Mm-hmm. And then he didn't beat Auburn, you know. And uh, it, it was just, it's just a matter of time because his last game there, if things had worked out right, he could have been the national champion that year. That's Notre right. Dame won it. That's right. But if they had won their bowl game, and that was the famous game where during that era, Curry got a lot of props because he jerked a kid on the sideline that had done something stupid on the field and read him the right act with a TV camera on him and sent him to the bench. And, of course, again, during that era, you got props for that. Today you can't do that. And – you know, I think I think Sim did a sales job on the fact that made Curry think, "Hey, you can do it anywhere." And and Curry never had an ideal. I I, I don't think he understood, no matter where you're, Steve Spurrier or whoever. And there's a good example that you can be the greatest recruit in the world, but if you're at a bad school, forget it. Spurrier could recruit kids to Florida. He wasn't able to recruit those same kids to South Carolina. That's, that's a big difference. Yeah. But anyway, Curry comes here. All of a sudden, they can't sell tickets in his third year here. And see him sweating it. The, the tenants is falling off. So he calls up Louisville, Bill Olson, agrees to a game with Kentucky and Louisville. Now, I ask you the same question you talked about on the basketball side. Is that a good move? No. Same reason. Same reason. Political. Political. It gave Louisville too much standing in Frankfurt in the legislature when it came to get, get money. And the ironic thing is before they actually ever played the game in 93, they win six games and go to a bowl, a uh, peach bowl, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't need to. And it goes along, and then we gotta we got to go to 96 when things are starting to fall apart. And they're able to recruit a kid by the name of Tim Couch who at a point in time wanted to go to Tennessee – and follow Peyton Manning, but he does come here. And then you've got Bill Curry, who has hired an offensive coordinator from his good, real good friend Bill McCartney at Colorado, who had just retired, said this is a great offensive coordinator, but if you take him, you've got to let him do what he wants to do. And they brought in Elliot Uzelak. Elliot Uzelak and Tim Couch was running the option. Well, I can remember when they were recruiting Tim Couch. He said, I got a call from Bill, and he said, if you were recruiting Tim Couch, what would you do? Now, this is Bill Curry talking to you. Talking to me. And I said, I would get a hold of Oscar, and I'd get a hold of Joe B. They're going down to his football game this week. 
He's a crazy football, crazy University of Kentucky basketball fan. Tim Couch is. I hear. I didn't know Tim at the time. I said I would get a hold of Oscar, and I'd get a hold of, of Joe B, and I'd see if I could ride down there to the ball game with them. And he said, what? And I went over it again. And I said, I know that last week he was up here, and what he wanted to do when he was up here, he wanted to meet Sam Bowie. Mm-hmm. And they met him at Wheeler's Drugstore. He's got a eight or ten picture of him no. being at camp with Sam Bowie when he was like six, seven, eight okay. years old. So anyway, I don't know whether he ever called you. I don't know well, whether, but I, I think all of you ended up in that stadium that he, night. He did call me, but it was illegal for me or him to go with me or me to go with him. Okay, but we did meet in uh, at Lester County High School around two o'clock in the afternoon. It was on a Friday. It was during the Mary Breckenridge Festival that they have each year, like a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And it was being held at the Richard Nixon Gymnasium that had just been built. So we're we're going in there just walking around all these arts and crafts and everything. And I, I, this is a short story. He walks in, and he there's a, a barrel with a whole bunch of sticks in it, all four, four and a half feet. This, you know, it looked like snake sticks and everything like that. And, and Bill's sort of infatuated with, you know, arts and crafts and all that kind of stuff. He said, hmm, what's this right here? And this old guy says, it's a whooping stick. He said, what? He said, it's a whooping stick. He said, well, what's a whooping stick? He said, if you don't know what whooping stick is, you don't need to be here. <laughs> but anyway, long story short, he bought three whooping sticks. He was going to take it back to the staff. Yeah. So he was there that night, and that was the night that Tennessee showed up in two stretch orange limos and parked right up on the field. I think they were playing Belfry that night, if I remember correctly. But anyway, he was there that night, and, you know, as that went along, but going back again, one of the key people in Tim Couch coming to Kentucky, as far as former players recruiting, it's a guy named Todd, Talbot Todd. And if it hadn't been for those guys – I don't know where he came here because I don't think that Tim or his father, either one, were ever comfortable with Curry and particularly Uselak. Uh, Elliot Uselak, I'd sat in too many meetings over there. And uh, Elliot Uselak, uh, who was a nice fellow, never thought that Tim Couch could play it. He hated the fact that Tim could throw the football because Elliot was a running quarterback, mm-hmm. uh, offensive coach. Trying to mix oil and water. Right. And he just absolutely was. Every time Bill would suggest that, that uh, they, they play, they're going to play uh, uh, Tim, Elliot Uselak would just have a hissy fit. And it was just it was unbelievable. And I, this, one, this is back when I'd go over there every day and I would run, jog with the coaches. But uh-huh. I, I, I was in the locker room. I mean, I was like a, another coach, you know. And I said, uh, a lot of things I can't tell uh, because of being so close to them. But well, in, in, uh, in Tim's freshman year, which would have been 96, they got off sort of a poor start. Somebody beat them the second game of the season, and then went to Cincinnati, and it was spitting snow, and they were down bad early in the third quarter, to the point that uh, that uh, Tim's parents and family left at the end of the third quarter to go home to watch his brother play at Eastern uh, that night, and. I don't even. I I think he may have got in for a series, but then the radio shows and everything were just lighting it up yeah. on them. He went to Florida, 
and he started Florida. What do you remember about that game? Really, I don't. You don't? Yeah. I mean, he was 71 to nothing. Yeah. And I remember going to the locker room after the game, yeah. and the players were walking in that little dirt way at Florida Field. And usually I could pull the quarterbacks over to the side, and it was just right, reading them the right act, all five of them. Don't know what he said, but it wasn't pretty. And it looked like that pretty much was the end of it. Well, it, it's, they, they treated they treated Tim in a bad way. Uh, they just treated him terribly uh, as far as being a, being a player. Now, you, you had to be involved because, again, you're all still doing the, yep. the radio and TV and all that. Tell me the best of your recollection of how how Mummy ended up being the next coach. Uh, Talbot. <laughs> Talbot Todd. Uh, you brought him up. Talbot Todd and Larry Ivey. Uh, is it Talbot? I think it was Talbot who had heard about, uh, heard about Hal Mummy. Is it true that at one point Mike Gottfried was – Named the coach, and I don't know he was named. I know that. There well, was, I mean, not publicly, but I know that there were some people who tried to get Mike Gottfried, and that he got point. shot down by one of the people that claimed that he had some negative uh, stuff at Pittsburgh. That was the reason that it didn't happen, to my yeah. knowledge. And then they had to go start all over again. And I, mm-hmm. to my knowledge, it was Talbot who came up with the name of uh, of uh, of Hal Mummy, and I believe he and Larry flew down to uh, Valdosta, Georgia. Well, I know they they went and they flew to Carson Newman and watched the last game he yeah, coached in yeah. in a playoff. Well, that could very well be where they went. I just knew they, they took down there. And the next thing we know, uh, we're in Alaska, I think, for the Great Alaska Shootout. And uh, I remember uh, I either walked in to do the pregame show with Rick and or I some somehow Rick and I were together, and he said, well – you hear about hiring a football coach and i said no he says i can't believe they didn't even call to tell me in advance who it was and i said who was it and he said uh, somebody named mummy or something like that he said i never heard of him and it, it did they kept it so quiet that nearly nobody knew about it i'd got to know mike godfrey a little bit a few years earlier because he'd had a relationship with patino uh and uh Mike had called me because, you know, he coached at Moorhead one time. Yeah. And uh, when uh, he called me, he said he was in the mix for us. He called me on a Saturday night and said, hey, I'm going to be the new coach. going to be named Monday. Yeah. He said, I'll be in town tomorrow night. Would you come have dinner with me at the time? Yeah. Next morning, I got a phone call back and said, it's all off. Couldn't I'd, speak. I'd heard, I'd heard the same thing. I'd okay. Yeah. Best team you covered, Kentucky football? Oh, it had to be, you know, the 76, 77 team that I covered. Uh, they were just – they were outstanding. They were good or better than anybody else in the SEC. Your they were favorite, like an Alabama or LSU. Your favorite U.K. players to cover? Oh, I don't know. There was, again, there were so many of them. Again, there were so many on that team. I remember uh, uh, Bubba McCullum was one of my favorite people. I just loved Bubba McCullum. I liked Elmore Stevens, uh, uh, Mike Ranieri, and I uh, liked uh, – Derek Ramsey and Warren Bryant and Art Still. Uh, I like people who you never heard of, like Doug Vessio. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, all, all of those guys. Uh, I like the, you know, the, I'd go stand on the side of the field. and You know, I got I was about the only guy they allowed to come to every practice. And I went to every practice, I think, nearly they had uh, during all those coaches. So, I pretty much after the mummy era, 
uh, and and Brooks, you've been away from it now, but where do you see, how do you see the program as it stands today and into the immediate future? I don't know. I keep thinking like everybody else, uh, preseason, I keep thinking, boy, we're going we're gonna to do it this year. We're going to go seven and four. We're going to go eight and three. We're going to do that. Then somewhere along the line, we'll step on it and something will happen and we'll start to spiral downward. And it's always, I remember going back and even back in the early days of, of, of say, John Ray and of, of, of Brand Kersey, we would have, of the 22 players on the field, we'd have probably 16 that could play anywhere. But you let one of those key players get hurt, we had nobody to put in there for them. In other words, you could survive even a great buoy going to the sidelines. Right. But you couldn't have, uh, survive with a great buoy in football going to the sidelines. Could not. You, ha- you, had, you don't have anybody to put in there for them. When Sonny Collins went down, you know, when he was here, we had nobody to put in there, you know, to replace Sonny Collins who could run like Sonny Collins. We didn't, didn't have that. Uh, we just, it's always been that situation. Mike Venuzzi got hurt. Who are we going to put in there to play quarterback? You know, we didn't have anybody to put in there to play quarterback. But, you know, be lucky if we went down and got a linebacker <laughs> to play quarterback. And it's, it's always been that. So we haven't been in the position at the University of Kentucky to stockpile is that we haven't been in a position to have somebody to back up a starter when they got hurt of quality. Uh, of, you of the think guy they're any closer to that today than they have been? Well, if you read and read the releases, they're, you know, they're going to be beating the New York Giants or <laughs> the Green Bay Packers. But, you know, it, it all goes, what happens if you get out there on the practice field today and you're going full steam and bang, one goes down. How are you going to replace it? We won't know until it happens. We only, it takes a great deal of luck and a great deal of skill. And I hope that it happens. I really hope that it happens because I enjoy watching UK football. One last question. Uh, what do you see the direction of UK athletics and Mitch Barnhart currently going forward? Um, the direction? Yes. He's been a, been a good administrator. He's, he's been uh, uh, an aggressive uh, administrator about adding programs, adding people, adding things, and uh, – uh, if, if I guess with he came at the right time, again, right place, right time, right person. Uh, you come in there, and at the same time, just about he came in here. That's when the NCAA started getting a lot more money into the uh, into the Final Four, into the, for basketball, and which you could use once you get it in the school, wherever you want to use it. It's my understanding. Uh, you, you started getting the College World Series on on television. More money coming into the school. You started getting. Uh, uh, the Southeastern Conference Network came along, added all that money into it. So it's like all of a sudden uh, you, you, you've struggled along and you've done this and you've done the very, very best you can with what you have, and you have all these ideas, and all of a sudden you say, oh, my God, I just hit Powerball. And I think that's, that's where Mitch is, is that Mitch has taken the money that they have had and that they have gotten, and he has invested it wisely. And I, and I think he's done a nice job with it. He has a, but he, every time he invests something, remember this, ladies and gentlemen, if he invests a dollar, Alabama invests a dollar, and they were already $10 ahead of us. So it takes, it, no matter what Mitch is doing and as hard as he is working and trying to get it done, it's still climbing that ladder straight up. And there's people climbing the ladder on the left and right of On you. the left and right of you. So somewhere along the way, he's got to get a break. He got a break with his baseball team. You know, a few years ago. Now he, he's got to get a break now with the, uh, with his, uh, with with the football. If he gets a break with football, that's the big break. 
that's really hitting the Powerball right there. Do you ever dream that the revenue would come about in the fashion it has? Oh, my God, today? I never thought about being that kind of revenue. It's, it's unbelievable. And, and I have sometimes, i got to be honest with you, I have time, not just Kentucky now, don't get me in that, in that corner, but all the money that they put into athletics, all the money they put into athletics, yeah, they say, yeah, the athletics brings it in. That's why they're doing it. Yes, they do. But I think that there needs to sometime be a study done. And I'm not big on studies. Let's just say you had a bunch of people sit around a table and say, you know, we could use of that $20 million you're spending here, we could use a million here to put into this department and a million here to put in this department and a million to put in this department. We could do that, and you still have $10 million left over. Uh could you not do use that ten million and give the university ten million to do something with? Uh, it, it's where's it all going? Uh, now we've gotten out of the privatization of dorms, privatization of the restaurants on campus, not just here, everywhere. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's the way that it goes, and maybe that's the way they get it. Uh, things change, things change, uh, uh, and that uh, I, I think Mitch has done a good job. The bottom line is, I think Mitch has done a good job. I think he's done a really good job. But we had other athletic directors in Kentucky. Did it. They didn't have the funds to do what he's done. And, but he's had the cojones that once that money got there, uh, he's had the cojones to do it. Did Cliff Hagen get a bum rap? Oh, of course. Never met a more honest guy in my life than Cliff Hagen. If Cliff Hagen told you something, you, you know, of course, you're going to go put it down, have your lawyer write it down. Whatever Cliff, Cliff told you on a deal, that's the way it's going to be. But, yeah, Cliff got a bum rap. Ralph, appreciate it. My pleasure. Always great. My pleasure. I'm buying. I'll believe that when I see it. <laughs> Our thanks to Ralph Hacker, who took the time to sit down with Oscar. We'll hear more from Ralph down the road as part two and part three will be released in the future. But as for now, the best way to get all of Oscar's podcast is to subscribe. To have conversations with Oscar Combs downloaded to your mobile device, just search for at Wildcat News in the iTunes Store or in the Google Play Store under Podcast and subscribe. That way you're guaranteed not to miss an episode and you can do it the old-fashioned way. Just go to oscarcombs.com and select the podcast page and all of Oscar's podcasts will be ready for your listening enjoyment. Make sure you catch Oscar on Twitter. He's at Wildcat News. In the coming months, Oscar and I will be releasing some unique podcasts that you're not going to find anywhere else. And we're going to have some fun reliving over 50 years of Wildcat memories with Oscar. So I suggest you subscribe and follow. It's easy. Subscribe and follow. I'm Bo Robinson, and thanks for listening to Conversations with Oscar Combs. And as always, go Big Blue.